Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, we're here on Monday, July 29th in Medford with Dr. Porter Lombard. And we're here to, oh, and my name is Rachel Woody. I always forget that part. (laughs) And we're here to talk about Southern Oregon wine history. Mm -hmm. And my first question for you is, why wine? What, what's your story of origin for how you got into wine? Well, I'm, I've been trained as a uh, horticulturist and uh, my involvement was principally in tree fruits. Um, and I was hired here to be the pomologist, which is uh, working with uh, tree fruits. Uh, and. Um, I, um, mo- most of the tree fruit that we had here was pears, so I became an authority in pear culture, uh, pretty well known throughout the world um, while I was here, so, mm-hmm. and did some traveling uh, overseas to um, uh, various conferences, uh, various things that uh, were important. I also had a sabbatical in uh, Britain for a year oh, wow. and worked on pollination because pollination is important in pears mm-hmm. um, and most of that pollination is done by normally by bees and um, it compared to grapes uh, we don't have to worry about that aspect of it uh, uh, most of it's done by the wind mm. and uh, so um, I, I spent uh, approximately 18 years here working as a, I was the superintendent of the research facility here and, and also worked as I said in pairs, pair research. Um, also I was particularly interested in um, protection from frost. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our uh, uh, orchards were uh, protected by the use of oil heaters. And uh, those oil heaters uh, were burning up quite a bit of oil and uh, not always giving us sufficient protection. Mm-hmm. So I uh, did some research, uh, particularly in the use of water. I used, uh, we used sprinklers to um, uh, heat in the orchard and protect from the frost. Mm-hmm. And it uh, worked much better than, than oil right, okay. uh, heaters. So that's generally, what I was uh, spending my time in Oregon in those days. Uh, And then uh, I was transferred to to OSU 
campus uh, to work uh, in the horticulture department there, again on tree fruits. And I was told, uh, even though I'd been doing some work on grapes down here at the time, I was told that uh, it's best not to get involved with the grape production, but to stick with um, tree fruits. Oh, and so what time I, I kind of the industry was asking for help from the standpoint of needs and their mm -hmm. for research, and uh, so I volunteered for that <laughs> phase. Do you recall what year or around about what time that was? Yeah, uh, I, I originally came in '62 to the area and worked on pears, and then I left here in 1980 and okay. moved to uh, the campus uh, of OSU. And how long were you at OSU? I was there uh, about, well, let's see, 12 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my wife and I commuted between Medford and Corvallis. We traded off oh, on wow. weekends, so. But that's what, about three hours? Two? Closer to four. Closer to four. <laughs> oh my. So, but not, not daily. That wasn't daily right. commute. But, but uh, yeah, I, so I, I started, I, I became interested in the middle, the mid-60s about uh, uh, wine grapes mm -hmm. uh, that could be grown here. At that time, we had a, a table grape grower um, that grew mainly um, uh, what we call American varieties. Uh, these are varieties that came from eastern United States, and uh, like Concord and, mm -hmm. and uh, Buffalo was the name of one of the varieties. And they have what they call a, um, uh, a special flavor. Um, and we, we refer to that flavor as foxy. Oh. I don't know, you know, that's where foxy came from. It doesn't deal with women. It <laughs> 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 deals with wine grapes or with grapes, that, uh, American grapes, that is. Mm -hmm. And I believe you planted in 1967? Yeah, 67, I planted a, a research plot here mm -hmm. to just evaluate it, if we could grow the um, uh, wine grapes. Before that, I sp spent a year or two trying to do my own research here. And I spent some time at um, Prosser, Washington, where they had a research facility there that mm. were working on wine grapes. And I found that the, that facility was had the similar uh, climate that we had here. Okay. In fact, it, it was different in a sense. Uh, their winter temperatures could be much lower than what we had here, so they would they were low enough to injure the, the grapes. Oh, okay. And so uh, 
more frequently that would happen up there than it did here. And their season was about the same length, about 150 to 165 days uh, a year mm -hmm. uh, in, in a growing season is what they expected there. So um, I felt that that was pretty good information. Uh, I'm a graduate of um, Washington State University, so I, I knew some of the people that were working on it there. And so that gave me an idea, and then I sp that maybe we should look into it a little more. And I spent uh, more time in California, particularly in Northern California, in the um, Napa Valley and, and Davis, spent some time mm -hmm. in Davis, talking to uh, their Department of Viticulture and, and uh, Enology. Mm -hmm. And um, that, um, they, they agreed that it's a possibility they would probably be able to grow the wine grapes here. Uh, but of course, they couldn't tell me which ones. They they suggested that that you don't want to plant on uh, uh, clay soils. Mm. Well, we have a lot of clay soils here. Yeah. In 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 this area, more so than the Willamette Valley. Willamette Valley has a lot of clay soils uh, on the bottomland. And it's uh, not very good for a lot of the crops in that area. But uh, up on the hillsides, why it's better. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of true here too. But we... And that's why pears have always been grown here because they do better on these clay soils than many other uh, tree fruit crops, so. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. So that's, um, so then, yeah, I, um, uh, had, um, made a request for some plant material from California and they sent me the, these are just, uh, bud sticks. They're, they have two or three nodes. I don't know if you know what a node is, uh, a node is that, yeah. that where the sectional bud would would grow. So um, they sent me uh, six varieties, like Pinot Noir, Cabernet, uh, Savion, um, Let's see what other varieties. Uh, Chardonnay is, it was another one. I don't have a list in front of me, but anyways, um, so we planted those. Uh, all you have to do, of course, is just stick this in the ground and it'll grow. Uh, it'll uh, root off on you as long as you um, um, are careful it's not injured by drying out or Mm -hmm. Anything else like that? And in our first, uh, I think the first year we had uh, in our 
at the station every year, we during the summer we'd have a, a field day, we called it a field day, and so we would talk about what we're doing in the field. Um, and of course, mainly growers had come to it, and the extension service was part of it too. So when I talked about planning it, why I was told by the local extension man here that he said, I don't think you can grow wine grapes here. He said, I, I grew up in Napa Valley and so I know what kind of weather we have and compared to Napa Valley and, and this is no Napa Valley. Okay. So Napa Valley is of course more famous than the Rogue Valley for wine grapes. But uh, there are certain advantages to our situation here that uh, they have problems with a lot of their soils that they plant on are clay soils. Okay. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, it's just a tougher thing to handle, the clay soils. Uh, they also have a, a common problem with frost, okay. much more than we do here. And, um, and of course they have other problems. Uh, they have, at that time, we didn't have any phloxera. Phloxera is the root aphid that right. eats on, on the wine grapes mm -hmm. uh, roots. So, um, and they also have what we call um, um, soils that are high in, in magnesium. Oh, okay. And um, that's a real problem. It, it's a problem where you find it up here too, but we don't have it here in this valley. They do have it in Illinois Valley, you know, where oh, yes. Illinois Valley is on the western slopes. We call that serpentine soils. And uh, as I said, it's, uh, you have a lot of um, a deficiency uh, that's a problem. Uh, various elements are deficient, particularly phosphorus, potassium, um, sulfur and various other ones that, mm. and along with this high magnesium, so so they they I look at it that they have as many problems, if not more, than we have here, right? In their experience, and so that's that's how we got started. We. Uh, we're interested in trying to first find out what varieties might do best. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at the same time, of course, we knew that there was some interest in, in the Willamette Valley, you know, in grapes too at that time, mm -hmm. although it wasn't publicized very much. But, and of course, the other thing is that um, there was they had started in the Umpqua Valley uh, of planting, and uh, Richard Summers, mm -hmm. as you probably know about. And Richard Summers 
family actually uh, he grew up here on the uh, the Rogue Valley in oh, Ashland. That piece we did not know. Yeah, and um, and I think he moved to California after a while. I don't know what he did in between, but and the family. Some of the family is still here, I think. I don't know if they're still here now, but they had an orchard also. So um, th that's, I knew things were starting to move up north, and, and that's why I was interested in trying to get something started here. Were any other people trying to grow grapes at this time? in the late 60s? Were there any wineries around? None. Uh, okay. The only one I knew of was uh, Richard Summers, of course. Okay. Yeah, Hillcrest mm -hmm. Vineyards. And we have a Hillcrest Orchard here. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> But it had nothing to do with, with uh, his uh, uh, okay. field. But. So uh, that's and we we were looking particularly, as I said, how the varieties would do, you know, would they live? And of course we went beyond that, what kind of yields do you expect and right. and your maturity, how that and we had some low temperatures. Uh we had in nineteen uh seventy we had temperatures as low as uh, well, this is the, during the frost season. We had temperatures around 21 degrees, mm. which is hard on grapes besides the pears. So we lost much of the right. pear crop here that year. But but the grapes seem to come through a little bit better. They bud out later than the bloom uh, on the on the pear orchard. So and so that. They were um, had butted out. It, you don't have to worry about the bloom necessarily on wine grapes. It's mm -hmm. just the livability of of the grapes to get through those low temperatures, and and you, normally you, it's the budding. As soon as the buds start to grow, then they become susceptible to frost. I see. So. Okay. And uh, so that's more or less the the first um, that I'm aware of. The first crop that was uh, planted uh, commercially was the um, the one in, in um, Rouge, which is in the Applegate. Okay. And that was the uh, Wisnowski oh, okay. family. Okay. I'm actually going to speak with Mark and Mike okay. later this week. Mm -hmm. And their father is the one that first planted it. Um, he was, uh, and I don't know if anybody mentioned, uh, while I was on a sabbatical in 1970, when I came, evidently the year I was gone, why uh, RCC, uh, Rogue Community College, had a course in wine grapes. <laughs> huh, okay. 
while I was gone. So they, there was a, it perked up the interest, I think, of several uh, local people, and Wisnowski was one of them. And uh, others, uh, the Carpenters, um, Dunbar Carpenter, and um, uh, trying to think of some of the others that uh, I, I'll uh, maybe I'll get hold of those names afterwards, but I. I've gotten some Troon. of their names now. Dick Troon. Dick Troon's one. Oh, mm -hmm. good. Yeah, he's one. And um, uh, Weisinger in Ashland, perhaps. That I don't know, and okay. I doubt. Okay. He came in later. Yeah. And uh, uh, John Osterhout's another one. So all of these got John, started. John's still living, and of course, okay. uh, but Dunbar Carpenter isn't. Uh, you, families still, uh, they're next to the Roxy Ann Vineyards. Okay. For John Austin House, do you recall the name of the winery or the vineyard? No, he didn't. Well, just John Osterhout. No, he didn't have. He was interested in a winery, and he he ended up making wine for himself. Ah, okay. <laughs> like me, I guess. Mm. So he took a class at um, Davis in winemaking. Uh, and plus, I, I, I don't remember if he was involved with that first course, and that was uh, done by a man, a name that you probably have is Corey. Oh, Charles Corey? Corey, uh-huh. And uh, he was the one that taught the course. They flew him down weekly. Oh. And back. and. Uh, he taught the course, and he obviously got quite a few people excited. I don't know who yeah. else was in that class, but maybe they would have a record of that. I, yeah, I, I've not heard that piece of Charles Corey history. Um, Ted Gerber might be another person that took that course. I, I don't remember talking to him about that, but... Um, and that name uh, you've heard of, I take it. Or, yes, it's yeah. familiar. Uh, he's over in the Illinois Valley, so. Okay. And Kersey has a winery and a, a vineyard too, and Forest is the name uh, of the winery. Mm -hmm. So, what was it like in the early to mid 1970s? with people getting interested in making wine? Well, you'd hardly know it, I guess. Uh, there was, I think, among these individuals that were, took that course or were involved with the course where they, um, 
they were talking about trying to set up in a cooperative uh, winery. And I think they, I, I, I wouldn't say they didn't trust him, but they, they were concerned that um, Frank Musnowski would kind of uh, take the major part of it, didn't know if if he was solvent enough to handle it or what. I don't right. know what the reason was, but there was concern. And so he kind of went at it by himself mm -hmm. from the standpoint of starting a winery. And then um, I was, there was other, uh, Roger Lane, I don't know if that, mm -hmm. have that name. He and his wife, um, I can't remember her, last, her first name now, but uh, she had some experience evidently. She had taken the class or, or so at um, Davis and they moved up from California and uh, developed a vineyard in, this, in the Applegate. And they also planted about the same time as, uh, as Wisnowski, maybe slightly later, I'm not sure in that timing. But. Okay. From those beginnings, how did you see it grow in this area, the wine industry? Well, it didn't grow very fast, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I was gone in the 80s, and so I wasn't in uh, touch um, uh, much with what was going on down here locally. Uh, but there was a, a group of them that, of course, had um, developed uh, meetings and various other events that were going on uh, here in the 80s. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much until this the 80s, but um, once once into the 80s, why they, um, I think they met frequently, and I gave all those records, that, since I wasn't here, I gave all those records to uh, SOU's oh, good. Uh, library, mm -hmm. and so they're down there now. I, I need to go through it in order to find, find out who was involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of those names that probably aren't involved at all now, but um, so things really didn't start to roll until about the 90s, uh, and in planning, I think a lot of the planning was done in the late 90s and well into the new century. So. Mm. Um, I was trying to think uh, some of the people that were here, of course, John Osterhout was here. He was involved with the association. Uh, Nancy Tappan, um, another one, she was the one that had the records that I got hold of, so, and her, 
she was uh, her vineyard was in the uh, Rogue um, Rogue River, uh, the city of Rogue River, just outside of the city. To go back to some of your research with trying to figure out what types of grapes would grow best mm -hmm. in the area, what were your findings? Um, well, I, we found that uh, generally uh, the major ones like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, those are probably the ones that are best known and they seem to do well. In fact, the crops are rather, could be quite heavy. And uh, later on, of course, uh, when I was at, uh, in Corvallis, why we did some work on thinning. And now it's commonly done, uh, you know, mm -hmm. trying to keep the crop down, particularly in the Willamette Valley. Our cropping here, we aren't as concerned about the crop level as they are in Willamette Valley. Many of them up there now are, are producing around a ton an acre, which is <laughs> pretty low. Mm -hmm. And um, there are others, uh, of course, in, we find that our, a lot of our uh, varieties that we prefer are um, Uh, are, are developed rather lately, uh, later than than uh, than they do up in. Well, I sh should say they they are able to mature them here. Uh, the later varieties, so I think that's uh, our advantage, and some of the better known varieties where they're. In the Willamette Valley, there um, and it has to stick with the, the early varieties primarily, and of course Pinot Noir is the best known one. Mm. But there are others. I think some of the individuals that um, uh, got started. Chardonnay, of course, has kind of gone downhill compared to uh, varieties like uh, Pinot Gris and. And then we have whites down here that are uh, mature too late for them up there. And um, those are varieties like uh, Viognier that seem to be one of the popular ones. I don't, I, maybe you're aware of that. I don't know. Viognier is... Just by is, name. Huh? Just, Just by, by name. name. Okay. Yeah. Is a, a French variety that... Um, and then we're... Particularly Medford's uh, um, sister city is Alba, Italy. Oh. And I don't know if you know where Alba is. <laughs> it's in the northwestern part of Italy. Okay. And um, it's uh, their varieties are. 
Well, there are a whole list of them, but uh, uh, suddenly I can't think. <laughs> think of some of what the varieties, some of the varieties are, but they um, uh, they had a delegation that came over that were involved with their industry that and. Um, they uh, spent some time here, but there's not much interest in some of the varieties that they have there in, in Alba, but uh, they may come on later on. I think our fear now is the climate change situation, mm -hmm. that um, some of the varieties we have now are maturing too early and consequently they're too high in sh sugar content and mm -hmm. and also alcohol content and i think that's going to be a, a problem in the future with climate change here and of course it will be uh, could be a problem in the Willamette valley if right it is something that they've been speaking about yeah they okay Though I don't think anybody's come up with All solutions right. or right. Okay. projections. Uh -huh. Do you think we will eventually switch to different varieties to match the climate, or? Well, uh, I think I think they should, because mm -hmm. I think that's that can be a, a, a particular problem. The high alcohol, mm -hmm. um, high alcohol, of course, has a a bite to it, um, and um, mm -hmm. and I think it's one that could be a real problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What were some of your other aspects of research? whether in your post here or at OSU? Well, uh, one that I was involved with, uh, we gave a, a uh, symposium, we called it, and we called it the Cool Climate hmm. Symposium. And I don't know if you heard of that I when I was at OSU, uh, it was it was a suggestion that um, the uh, enologists that we had uh, at the time, but soon left and went back to. He was from New Zealand. Okay. Um, can't think of his last name now. David. Anyway, he's the one that suggested the. A cool climate symposium. He thought it might go over pretty well, so um, I helped organize that along with uh, other people in the uh, food science department at OSU, and um, we gave we invited uh, quite a few European um, mm. people over, uh, particularly uh, both commercial people, but also researchers there, and uh, became very close with what they were doing in, in uh, 
France, particularly France and Germany, and I guess we didn't have any from, but they're mainly, yeah, France and, and we, France and uh, Germany, because they were dealing with cool climate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was one of their aspects. And David, um, uh, hmm. you mentioned his name earlier, and now suddenly I can't think of his name. Let or Adelsheim? Adelsheim. David Adelsheim was, had a lot of good connections hmm. uh, in Europe. So that gave us a start, and we were able to pull in some other people that we didn't know as well. And uh, we had a, a good turnout for that symposium. I think we had about 700 people that came to the symposium. Wow. And uh, that, that symposium, we set it up so people, you know, there were mainly growers that came. There, weren't, there were some researchers came from Washington State in fact, they were involved somewhat, and but we had a lot of Easterners that came too uh, out of New York, and mm. uh, let's see who else that might have been there, but but they, um, uh, I think that was a good start. In fact, um, since then, why I think. Every four years, generally, there has been a uh, cool climate symposium that followed up on. And they had one in uh, Germany. Uh, let's see, is that the only one? Yeah, Germany, Australia, New Zealand. Um, Left out anybody else? Oh, uh, uh, Cornell oh, yes. University. I think I covered all of them, but that's that's where they've all been. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's just been the one in uh, Europe. Uh, so there've been a lot of follow-up on that basis. What sorts of subjects are covered at the symposium? Uh, mainly dealing with um, climate. Mm -hmm. uh, what kinds of things that uh, might occur to the quality of the wine, the production problems that may occur, uh, maturity. Mm -hmm. um, And of course, uh, there was some enology concerned about uh, how to handle, you know, s certain problems that may occur if, because of the lack of maturity or whatever it is. That the, um, also, uh, um, yeah, you know, those are the, the, the principal things I can think of. Uh, okay. 
Were there any aspects of research or wine growing that you feel particularly passionate about? Well, that's a good question. Uh, well, uh, my work at uh, Corvallis, uh, we were mainly concerned about uh, yield, but also um, exposure mm -hmm. to light and what kinds of uh, trellising system is best for, um, well, of course, up, up there was for uh, Pinot Noir, but, mm -hmm. but for quality, that was our main concern. and, and um, and we found that uh, in that the the Henry Scott Henry system was very good mm -hmm. from the standpoint of exposure, and uh, so I think um, it kind of surprises that you could increase your yield on Scott Henry. Um, and at the same time have better exposure than other systems. Uh, and then, yeah, so I think it's, there have been a lot of spin-offs from the Scott Henry, but the Scott, Scott Henry is well known throughout the world. So uh, I think, uh, and, and I think that was one thing we found that there's a lot of excitement uh, with seeing Scott Henry when we held that uh, cool climate symposium. They uh, had a lot of Europeans go down and look at the system. They were interested in it, you know. Uh, I, I'm a little concerned, of course, there's, um, interest in, of course, the soils. And I think that's important to a certain degree. It, and I, I felt particularly here, that's something that we need to be cognizant of. Um, uh, but I, there are others that uh, look at um, the Jory soil is the one that's best known in the Willamette Valley, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's the best soil. Okay. <laughs> because it's a, a, a deep, very deep soil. And I think uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, you get uh, too much growth oh, okay. with that very fertile uh, soil. And, and, and because it's deep and, and uh, is a f fine uh, textured soil, and not quite clayish, but close to it. We have better, I think, better soils here overall because our soils are, are not as deep. They're shallower and perfect. The 
perfect depth would be something like three feet deep instead of jory soils could be 15 feet deep. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of late growth mm -hmm. uh, moisture that comes from that. And, it, and that's been a concern in the Willamette Valley. Should we irrigate or mm -hmm. you think it's necessary to irrigate? I don't think it's necessary up there generally, but depending on this, because the soils are deep enough to be able to right. maintain the moisture. Now with climate change, it might be different, but. So if Jory is not the best soil, perhaps, do you have a suggestion on what soil would be more preferred? Well, as I mentioned, yeah, or up there, yeah, up there uh, and down here as well. I'd have to look at the list. Uh, I, mm. I don't remember the names of them very well. There's Alpine. Is that Alpine? No, I, I'd have to look at the list. Well, Kinsey, I think, is the only other soil well, name. Yeah, that's another one I was disappointed in. It, it's mm. shallower. Mm. Uh, Wilkinsey, yeah, there's quite a bit of it up there too, you know. Yes. Um, no, I just don't remember the names of them that okay. well. Okay, I was well. more curious than anything. <laughs> yeah, all right, good for you. <laughs> good questions, but here, um, you know, the, the, the soil we're on here, which is fairly shallow, it's only about 18 inches deep here. Mm, okay. And um, it it um, is a good soil, but it, it needs it needs irrigation. Mm. And generally, of course, we need irrigation down here. Mm -hmm. But I was interested in the the amount of irrigation necessary, or the total amount of water that's necessary to for grapes wine grapes, uh, and they don't need as much moisture as, as uh, other crops like uh, tree fruit crops like mm -hmm. apples and pears. They require about 20 inches of moisture for the year. And here in wine grapes, I find that it's about 10 inches, 10 to 11 okay. inches. If you're interested in it. Yes, yes, okay. most definitely. And in fact, the information you've been able to provide us, we've been mostly interviewing winery owners or vineyard owners. So to be able to have an interview with someone such as yourself mm -hmm. that has more of the science mm -hmm. and research background, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's an area we've not really been exposed to mm -hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Well, the other one is um, controversy and deals with uh, spacing. Oh. So you're not aware of that? <laughs> not aware that it was controversy. We've definitely heard variances on how close or far apart this should be planted. Well, yeah, that's what I meant by spacing. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Which uh, I think, well, this spacing that I have down here is pretty tight. It's, it's about three by three. Okay. And that's the kind of spacing you'll find in 
places like uh, France, Burgundy, mm -hmm. particularly Burgundy. And uh, that isn't a spacing I recommend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but with a, a small space that I have, why well, that's what I decided to do is bulk up on it because you don't have as much exposure mm. that you would like. Um, but I, I was able to, I could get 20, the spacing I had down there on some of the European varieties were running close to 20 to 22 tons an acre. Okay. Now you don't, most uh, European grapes, uh, they don't like to go over five or six tons an acre. Hmm. Okay. And in Willamette Valley, of course, there's some growers, I, I don't know who necessarily, but want to keep the tonnage down to one ton an acre. So I don't know how you're going to make much money off of it and, and get enough right. quality. They think that's important for quality, but I don't think so. <laughs> and of course, spacing is another, as I say, it's I see a lot of that close spacing down in California, and I think it's a it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. And uh, better, my um, the ideal spacing, I think, for best exposure, and because you have to uh, deal with the 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 growth of the uh, variety. Mm -hmm the vigor of the variety. A vigorous variety, of course, you should space them further apart and then extend their canopy to fit the, between, between the, the vines. Mm -hmm. And uh, overall, so I, I, I think eight foot spacing between rows is good. You get probably the best um, quality f of uh, wine that way. Okay. And um, spacing between vines in the row, I, I su suggest from maybe four or five inches, or four or five feet for the less vigorous varieties up to eight or nine feet uh, spacing in the row for the more vigorous ones. Because you can extend the arm or the the, the uh, vine if it's more vigorous. So that's, so when I do consulting or did in the past, I'm not consulting anymore, but I would suggest spacing, but seldom I, <laughs> the growers would follow that spacing. Oh. <laughs> they would follow somebody else's idea that should be. So you still see a lot of it, it's four feet apart, and mm -hmm. that's, that's just too much mm -hmm. for most varieties. Yeah. Over the course of your research and years, both here and at OSU, were there certain people that you've been working with in the industry for a long time 
that... Oh, yeah. Um, of course, David was one of the best people. But... Um, Oh, let's see. I was trying to think. Boy, right offhand, I can't think of the names of uh, the two twin twins that are in um, Bethel Heights. Um, oh, uh, Ted and Terry. Yeah, Castile. Ted and Terry. Yeah, yes. Castile. Yeah, they were good. Um, Well, I just, uh, boy, let's see, who else at Port? Um, gosh, if I remember, could remember their names, why? <laughs> Sorry, it's an exercise in memory. <laughs> no, I just, well. Okay. I have another question for mm -hmm. you. Knowing what you do of the industry and now from a retired angle and seeing what's going on here, does the Rogue Valley have much of a future in the wine industry? Do you think it'll stay very similar in production as it is now? Or what's the potential for growth as you see I think it? that's a worry among local people here. They think, oh, how are they going to sell their wine? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it depends on the on the quality, of course, mm -hmm. and the price. Right. I have a lot of friends here locally that won't buy any of the local wines because they're too expensive. They they like uh, four or five dollar oh. bottles of wine. Yeah. <laughs> of course you would. But I think it's important that. People need to be educated in a way that they would appreciate quality. And um, most people just like to slug it down instead of uh, sniff it down. Right. Um, I think it's important to get the aromas. Uh, people that evaluate their wines with the aromas and and uh, various other qualities, the color, and trying to just slug it down, so. Mm -hmm. But uh, it doesn't answer your question. I, I think there's a concern that, of course, how are they gonna compete? I, I think they can compete pretty well, but uh, the area isn't as well known as the Washington one. Uh, Washington, of course, is, or the, or the Willamette Valley mm -hmm. had a head st start, so I don't know. Um, it may be that the local wines here will rely more on uh, vi uh, visitors, uh, mm -hmm. tourists that are, you know, here for the plays or, or for right. something else or to go down the river. And uh, then they have the, there's some nice tasting rooms here, I, I must admit, so. And uh, I think that's, that's helpful, but, but already we, 
the local people seem to know who has the best quality. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> because they, they talk about, well, so-and-so and don't care for their quality, <laughs> their wine. It's harsh or whatever they refer to it. Yeah. Mm. Do you have a favorite type, a favorite variety that you would oh, enjoy growing or drinking? Oh, of course I do. <laughs> Can I ask what it is? <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, well, uh, yeah, there's several I have. A, um, one is this local uh, native grape. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, how much you know about it. Very surface I'm the level. only grower, though. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, I have it out in, in several vineyards, but uh, they aren't doing much with it. But that's, uh, as I said, that's one that's, uh, flavor-wise, I wouldn't call it the top favorite, but I think it's an interesting one to have. Mm -hmm. You know, my red favorites are um, Sangiovese. Oh, yes. You think so? Well, you, yes, you I agree. agree. <laughs> All right. Cabernet Franc. Mm -hmm. Have you had much Cabernet Franc? I've not had much yet. Mm. No, I've been more Sangiovese and Chianti. Every time you use Cabernet Franc in a blend, it upgrades it. Really? It really does. It makes a big difference. And by itself, it's pretty good. Hmm. So it's just not well known. Um, the whites, I'm not sure. I, Viognier, I think, has been a good one. And Pinot Gris, I like. Uh -huh. hmm. um, The other one, uh, uh, the, the industry here thinks that Tempranillo is, is probably the best. I don't know. I, I can't say that that's my favorite. I, it's, it's all right. It's a red, but mm -hmm. I don't know what you, you find people. Have you found much interest in Tempranillo or? There certainly is up in the Umpqua, of course, yeah, right. in Abacella. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's starting to get attention up in the Willamette Valley. Not that I think anybody could grow it. Oh, it could be. Some of it's early. Mm. It's fairly early. Uh -huh. it, it's one that we never tried when I was up there, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's attractive in its newness, but also being such an established variety from Spain. So mm -hmm. I, I think people are interested, especially mm -hmm. with Earl Jones about yeah, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. some good attention from it. Mm -hmm. I've also heard people saying that Chardonnay might be coming, coming back. back. Yeah, I just haven't followed. Uh, I had my favorite uh, clones, but nobody else seemed to be interested in it, in Chardonnay or mm. another one was, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I don't remember the number on that now. 246, 264, 364, I can't remember. Anyway, that was one of my favorite Chardonnays, but um, 
but now there's so many others that have come on with and that's the other thing that people like um, uh, David um, and um, and others up in the Willamette Valley have been important in trying to get some new clones in. Mm -hmm. And we find that um, find that the Europeans are more willing to work with us, I think, than in California. I have uh, heard similar. Yeah, have you heard that similar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, they were upset with California, you know, being using Regional terminology names. that yeah mm -hmm. that they disagreed with so. Um, I was trying to think of, you know, others that, um, and of course that was mainly uh, French and German. Um, mm. And when I was at uh, Corvallis, well, we had had some exchange with some of the French, um, or the Burgundy, um, people, so had a few that, you know, students that would come over and mm. I had a woman student that, um, graduate student that applied for a job and working in a winery in, in uh, Burgundy, but I don't know, I think her first, her name was Jean. Okay. But of course, in French, it's John. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I think they got confused. As, <laughs> is it a, a man that wants a job? And so they offered a job, but once she got over there, no job. Really? Because w women weren't being hired for. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what happened to her? Did oh, she? she? She came back and. Graduated in soil science, or got a degree in soil science. Wow. Hmm. Now this may be a bit of a, a long shot on my part, but when you were doing clone research, was there much known about what clones or varietals were grown back when the pioneers came over? Oh, I... Like Peter Britt? Um, I doubt it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the French were the ones that really got started early on that. Germans kind of came in later, I think, but um, California kind of poo-pooed that, I hmm. think. Uh, at least they weren't interested. I don't know if yeah. that meant they poo-pooed it or not, but right. okay. they weren't interested in trying to find them. Uh, there might be, well, it, there might have been certain people down there that had their favorites, but the, but the problem was that there's a big mix-up in California, and I think we also had some of that mix-up here. We misidentified some of these clones oh. and didn't straighten it out till later. Okay. So, uh, I, you know, particularly the Pinot Noir clones, I think the early one. Now, the, 
the main ones, of course, uh, I don't think there's any problem there, as far as I know, but uh, I think um, some of the clones that we got from California mixed, we mixed them up too. And mixed them up as far as identifying? Identifying them, yeah. Misidentifying them or... And then so, they'd go out to be planted and you'd realize I know. it was something else. <laughs> okay. So that's a, that can be a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Lombard, that was all of my official questions. I'm wondering if there's anything else that I maybe should have asked you or that you'd like to share with us before we end our official taping. You're going to leave it up to me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked all my fun questions, even what was your favorite variety. Well, um, no, I know Linfield is, the college has been in, in the forefront in being interested in the uh, people in the industry and, and of course, been involved with the Pinot Noir conference that, Yes, uh, International Pinot Noir Celebration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if there's, they are they thinking of any education yes. on top of that or? We are starting to. Linfield is a undergraduate small liberal arts college. Yeah. So we're not quite big enough to do like OSU, viticulture mm -hmm. or oenology. But what they're starting to do is actually this summer is more of the business sort of the liberal arts answer to the wine industry mm -hmm. so um, business and marketing strategies for mm -hmm. local mm -hmm. wineries okay um, that's good and then of course we have our history and education component too we're starting to build up uh-huh okay. so um yeah so not perhaps the more traditional route of mm -hmm. education but we mm -hmm. are we're figuring out where we can help contribute where you can what? Where we can help contribute. Oh, contribute. Yeah. yeah. Well, just drink more. <laughs> yes, we are doing our duty in that as well. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, yeah, I, I think that... You know, it's been... The, the healthy part of drinking wine, I think, is has been important for wine. I think it's helped it some. I hope it doesn't backfire, you know. That, right. But I think um, uh, how healthy it is, why there are obviously certain things in it that might, might are good for you, but um, I think alcohol kind of, <laughs> the alcohol itself is something that could get us into trouble. So what do you think of this? It's good. It's got a very bold flavor, which I like. It has a what variable? A very bold A bold, flavor. uh -huh. mm -hmm. it's very good. What do you think of it? Well, I think it's pretty good, it, isn't <laughs> it? Um, my f friends that have tried it said, well, I think it could be a good one for blending. Oh, okay. But you notice, uh, the color, have you know? It maybe it's a little yeah. hard in there. It's very deep red. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And of course, some of that's due to the small berries, but okay. But even then, they, 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 
The larger berries don't seem to dilute it, so it's it's got a good color to yeah. it. Very deep red. I think that's red. one of the deepest, deepest reds I've seen, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it's very good. Thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. Well, what I should do is give you a bottle of it. Huh? <laughs> I thought would be very generous of you, <laughs> but I... We don't want to impose you don't. either, <laughs> but if we would drink it as well. It would have a good home. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, there's been a little bit of interest up north in it, but of course it's it's a very late variety, oh, okay. later than any other European varieties I've grown. So, so it may it may be a tough one to. Maybe later it'll come into right with the climate change. Well, let perhaps. me let me uh, put my famous label on it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We'll get a picture of it too for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast, and thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.